you know, I was starting to worry that, like, all of Season 1 was just going to have some crap episodes for a while. Like, I, I know, I know, only two bad ones in a row isn't really a big trend, but... I mean, you know how Season 1's of Star Trek tend to be? But no, I actually like this. Oh, by the way, we now have our third first episode of the show. No, hang on, this is our fourth first episode of the show. And not our last. We've got one more after this, which we won't be getting to for a while. But effectively, this is the final first episode of the show. This is the one that actually aired first in Canada. By the way, something about that amuses me. The first time Star Trek was shown anywhere in a public broadcast was at CTV, which I believe is a Canadian uh, broadcast station or studio or whatever in Canada. Hey! I mean, Shatner, right? That makes sense. But no, I, something about that amuses me. Let's see. So why was this the first one they aired? I have two things to say about this. First of all, according to the actual... Uh, word producers, there we go, that's the word, the extra executives in this book, uh, most notably Mr. Solo and Mr. Justman, but everyone else is involved in this too. It was a simple process of elimination. Couldn't be Corbomite Maneuver. It wasn't ready yet. So, okay, next. Uh, well, Charlie X was apparently too gentle of a story. I haven't seen that one again. Obviously, we're not there yet, so oh, can't comment on that. Mud's Women... We have covered that one, and that episode can go to hell. But that one was considered too questionable. Okay. What about Where No Man Has Gone Before? No, 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 no. Too expository. Still don't understand what that means. Which left us with only two options. This episode and The Naked Time. Now, we haven't covered The Naked Time yet. I, j I just got to mention the fact that The Naked Time was apparently considered a good character intro for the characters of the crew. I really want you to think about that for a second. I want you to process that idea. We'll discuss that when we get there. But uh, basically, it was between Naked Time and this one, and the coin was ahead, so they went with this one. Okay. Sure, I could buy that. Now, what's doubly interesting about that is this episode is actually pretty well panned. Uh, Variety at the time thought it was terrible. TV Guide thought it was terrible. Leonard Nimoy thought it was terrible, and, by the way, specifically stated that the only reason that this was the uh, the, the initial shot, the, the series intro, first one they broadcast, I'd say series premiere, but I'm not sure if that counts. Anyways, either way, was because they, this was proper science fiction, a.k.a. science fiction that involves a monster that we have to defeat. Shatner didn't like this episode either, by the way. He mentioned that in his own books. Nobody liked this episode. Except me! Although I did just finish watching, uh, er, not Naked Time, Mud's Women and, uh, another episode I can't remember the name of, because I'm smart. What was it? Oh yeah, Enemy Within. So maybe it's just my standards have been lowered by the drag I've been watching lately, I don't know. Ugh. Funnily enough, Chris Black loved this episode. I know what you're thinking. Who the heck is Chris Black? We'll be talking about him Tuesdays because he's a big uh, recurring writer over on Enterprise. Did a decent amount of stuff in Season 2 and Season 3 over there. So, oh, where to begin with the episode proper? Actually, before we go any forward, we see Leslie for the first time on this episode. Alright, real question. How many of you know who I'm talking about? One of the things I have commented on many times is the value and importance of recurrent 
um, background characters. TNG actually did this quite well, and so did Deep Space Nine. Voyager dropped the ball, and so did Enterprise. At least for as far as I've seen so far, which is seasons one and two, as I've already mentioned. I, b I bring all that up, though, because I've always felt that that recurring background element is something that really just adds a almost imperceptible layer of believability and visual continuity to a work, to a series. So seeing the same people in the background, seeing the same characters, that's good. And that's, that's Leslie, basically. He's one of our recurring background characters. We'll be seeing a lot of... He goes by, like, four or five different names until Conscience of the King, when they refer to him as Leslie... And he will be called Leslie from that point onwards. Same actor, though, obviously. Anyways. So, Captain's Log. McCoy's old flame is here. Uh, can I just say, it's funny that they have these tricorders and apparently have no idea how to use them. Did you know you could scan with tricorders? I, I never knew, personally. Anyways, the first thing we see, this is actually really brilliant. And this is part of what sells this episode for me, is little touches like this. In the cold open, this is actually probably the best cold open, there's no probably, this is the best cold open I've seen so far for TOS. Nancy walks in, hi, and she just looks like a young woman. Hi, what's up? Then the camera turns and Kirk looks at her and she has a little bit of gray in her hair. It's understated and, frankly, on the kind of TVs that were out at the time, you would be, you would be forgiven for not even noticing. This is why the third crewman is there. You'll notice there is no in-character reason for the third crewman to be there whatsoever. He is completely unnecessary, except he serves the vital narrative function of being a third perspective character who has no, in, in, you know, intention of seeing Nancy whatsoever and has no idea what she looks like, so he sees someone entirely separate. And so he sees the blonde woman from Wrigley's Pleasure Planet or whatever, and he's like, oh... And so, even if you didn't notice the gray one, you're going to notice that one. And everyone acts like it's completely normal. This is, of course, a good way to get your attention. Huh, what the heck is going on here? And, of course, looking back at this, it's now obvious that the form of shapeshifting she takes is purely illusory. In other words, that she doesn't actually shapeshift at all. All she does is project a different image. This also explains why the suction cups always show up even when she uses her fingers... Because, after all, what's actually happening is the creature's fingers are there, and those are the ones with the suction cups, so that actually lines up and makes sense. By the way, wonderful praise to the designer of the suit, which actually saw some use in a few other things, including Twilight Zone and Outer Limits, I believe. Uh, don't quote me on that. But either way, it actually looks suitably horrifying, which is good, because that's what they wanted, or at least that's what the actual producers wanted. The original script was substantially different. There was, it was going to be a far more intelligent creature, and it was going to actually do one of those things where, you know, it argues for its right to live, and, you know, it's the Star Trek thing, right? For <clears throat> whatever reason, cough, cough, need to sell the show, cough, cough, they decided to axe that and turn it into a monster, which also has the ability to talk and reason, and let's just ignore the ethical compl complications here. After all, there's other issues with this script. I like this episode, but this is not what I'd call top-tier territory. It's just a relief to have a decent episode to talk about anyways. So, Captain's Log gives away the fact that everyone can see a different person on the off chance you missed it. Again, normally I'd make fun of that, but think about the TVs of the time, really. Think, think about this, you know. At least that's what my TV looked like. Because I had a TV back in the 60s. No, the TV I'm referring to I had in the 80s. It still was like this. Or rather, the TV was gargantuan, and I'm not going to do that.
do the whole thing because I'll go off the camera here. But the actual view screen part of it was this thing. So that was that sucked. <sighs> but they're like, okay, he's dead, Jim. And we see the suckers in the face two times. They mention the salt thing. And then we see Uhura and Spock. And Uhura tries to get Spock to flirt with her. Yeah, like, like Spock and Uhura, whatever. I should be a romantic couple. Give me a break. But I like that. I like that scene. Mostly because it's actually a scene with Uhura, who's just trying to pass the time and, you know, get a little bit of characterization in. You'll notice this is her first scene. Oh, I know, she's been in previous episodes, but this is the first time Uhura has had a scene de de dedicated to her and actually developing her character. Now, this is funny, and this is part of what elevates this episode, is we get a little bit of perspective from her, and just, just a few little things. You know, she gets the thing with the crewman later, who speaks Swahili to her, and just, just little stuff like that. It's good, it's good. Sulu gets a similar thing. Now, he had the bit back in uh, Enemy Within, where he was on the planet, but now we actually get Sulu just, apparently he's into uh, botany. He, he's got his arboretum going. And he and Janice Rand have actually a pretty good scene together. I hope you enjoy that. Because to my knowledge, the next time the two will have a scene together will be in Star Trek VI. <laughs> you know, the movie. Nevertheless, it's good. It's good seeing the, you know, the perspective shift and us just getting character moments. If I might be so bold, we all have different definitions of what Star Trek is. That's one of the reasons why uh, Discovery and Picard and all the recent stuff has been so contentious. is because we all think different things about it. If we're being honest, this is why DS9 was contentious too. And Enterprise. And TNG. Not that I'm trying to equate quality, I'm just pointing out this is not the first time I've seen that, or the second, or the third. But I bring all this up. Because for me, one of the hallmarks of Star Trek really is those character moments. There need to there needs to be times where the narrative just kind of pauses and focuses on the individual, or the individual is developed as a result of the narrative. In other words, it needs those character scenes, those character moments to really flesh it out. Um, we had several bits with uh, Bailey back in the Cobramite Maneuver, for example. And we have several elements with Kirk back in uh, where Nomad has gone before, even though it was kind of boshed. And little stuff like that, right? So I like the Uhura stuff. I like the Sulu stuff. It's good to see there. Anyways. So. I love how competent McCoy is here. It's actually nice to see Starfleet officers being competent. It's almost weird, given that well, not to put too fine a point on it, but behaving competently is so out of bounds for modern Trek, you know, that is to say modern Starfleet personnel, that when I was playing in a Star Trek game with Low Reloaded, I had to burn a momentum in order to be competent at my job as captain of the ship I was in charge of at the time. That is not a joke, by the way. Never letting that go. Because that's, because it's true. It's because they're just, they're so stupid. It's so many things. And it's so rare to see. So McCoy looks at us and says, nah, it's not poison. And if we found the food. No, it's not poison. Trust me. I'd find the alkaloid poisoning instantly. Okay. Now, in the exact same breath, I also have to point out that McCoy missed the fact. He says, there's, there's nothing wrong with this man whatsoever. Apparently, he had not decided to scan for the fact that all the salt had been violently drained from his body, which, by the way, I don't even want to figure out how exactly you're going to accomplish that by draining something through their face. 
Like, let, let's just ignore this, the magic science for a second. It's TOS. <sighs> By the way, subtlety. There's, there's a couple of little nuances in this episode, which also helped elevate it for me. Kirk is on the bridge drinking... Kirk is on the bridge almost the entire episode, and he's also present in almost every scene. Now you're probably thinking, well, of course he is. He's part of the Core 3. He's also drinking coffee on the bridge and eating his meals on the bridge. If you don't understand the significance here, in most of the episodes we've covered, and in several episodes in the future, when he does stuff like that, he'll go down to his ready room. Hell, he was ordering battle drills, back in Corbomite Maneuver, and went to his room to recover for a bit. Here, he refuses to leave his command post. Why? Because one of his crewmen died. And so he's on alert now, and he's not resting until this is dealt with. Nice touch. No one even says anything about it, it's just there. So, good storytelling. You can have good storytelling in the 60s, I swear. Anyways, I, I, I'm sorry. I bring that up because um, I have had people... This is way back when I used to hit the convention scenes. I've had people say that I am too harsh on TOS because of narrative points, because you have to give it credit because it's an older show, to which I say, no. <laughs> Whether something is well-written or not doesn't really change based on how old it is, or at least if it does, I, th I can think of a few thousand people who would probably disagree with that assessment. Anyways, so speaking of narrative, as much as I am praising this episode, let's talk about why this episode is really, really dumb. So, um, no, it's not going to be the salt vampire thing. That's stupid, but okay, whatever. Magic tech, moving on, which is different from magitech, by the way. Magic tech, two words. It's when technology is used basically because magic. It's a monster, you're not supposed to think about it. No, the thing that bothers me is... It's down there on the planet. It's fine, apparently. And they have salt. Okay, cool. Then it murders the crewman. Uh, okay. I, I guess it was hungry. All right. Now, keep in mind, the events of this episode occur over the course of, like, a couple hours. This is a very short episode in real time. So, in the space of a couple hours, it goes from being fine, and then eating, and then going up, and then being so hungry, oh god. Actually, no, it doesn't go up. Sorry, sorry, I missed a step. It also murders two more crewmen on the surface. So it eats three people. And then it gets beamed up and then immediately sees Rand and her salt tray and... Oh god, we're so hungry. Oh, we're so hungry. I need to eat that salt. You just ate three people within the space of a couple hours. If I want to be generous, it's been maybe a day. Now you might say, you have to eat more than once in a day. Yeah, I don't need to eat three times, excuse me, twice in a row, then immediately get beamed up, and then still be hungry. This is not Chinese food, which itself is a myth. That just has to do with how the body processes carbohydrates. Carbohydrates. That's why we put chicken in there. So, minutes later, it's jonesing for salt. I, I want to talk about the knuckle thing. I want to talk about the knuckle thing. Uh, this is going to sound like a weird thing to go off on a topic about, but bear with me. For those of you who have never watched my show before, this is what I do. I just discuss things that come to mind about the making of, or the nature of, or the philosophy of, or the dumb of. And it's all dumb and stupid and terrible, but this is my show and this is what I do. So, welcome to the Dumb, Stupid, and Terrible show. The next thing I want to talk about is visual or audio cues. Now, this is something I study a lot because it comes up a lot in game design. You want to indicate what type of things in your world interact with what type of things. Let me use a really dumb example. Let's say you have a sword, and you bang it on the wall, and it goes, tink, 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 tink. 
But then as you're banging, you hit this other part of the wall, it goes dunk, 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 dunk. That indicates you can interact with that wall in a different manner, maybe placing a bomb there or something, right? Um, maybe a door is red, which means you can hit it with missiles. Maybe the, you hear this shing in the background to indicate that's the time to parry a blow. All of these things are things that are built into the game to help you to know when and how to interact with the game, okay? The thing is, this same principle applies to non-interactive medium as well. We get visual and audio cues so that we know what things mean. Uh, this is something I'll be talking about in movies sometime this year. I have no idea when it's going in relation to this. But the most classic example is Jaws. We know that the, the barrel being dragged along means Jaws is there. We have that uh, visual parallel. And we get little indicators to acknowledge that kind of thing as we go throughout this work. The knuckle being the big one. Huh. You know, any time the creature bites its knuckle, we can tell it's jonesing for salt. But the important part, on the off chance that you can't keep track of who the creature is impersonating at any point in time, is all of the people it impersonates does the knuckle biting, so you then know that's the creature. It's good. It's good visual shorthand. And I wanted to comment on and praise that, because I'm pretty sure that's the reason why it's in the episode, to make sure that the audience knows what's up. Also, I want to give special praise. There's a really good shot. Uh, oh, oh, check it out. Mark Daniels uh, directed this episode. Now, if you've been paying attention so far, we've had a lot of one-offs. In fact, the uh, author of this episode also only wrote this episode, I think. I don't remember because I didn't look up their name because I'm really stupid. But what I do know is that the director, Mark Daniels, does several other episodes, like 10 or 15, something like that, which is great. Uh, he does Space Seed. That's awesome. He does Doomsday Machine. That's awesome. He does Spock's Brain. That's... Oh. <clears throat> Look, of all the complaints we could have about Spock's Brain, I don't think directing's on the list. Nevertheless, he does a really good shot. <laughs> Excuse me. So, Bones is lying on the, on the, ta the, the bed. And then the camera pans a long pan across the room, zoomed in, I might add, until it lands on the door and Bones is standing there. Now, we can tell exactly what happened. What happened is the thing, and then Kelly got up and rushed over and got in position so that he could be the creature. But it's still a good effect, especially for the time. And it gets across the idea very quickly and efficiently, just on the off chance the knuckle didn't give it away. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, one of the other weird things about the creature, this is probably a holdover from the original script, is that it's weirdly honest. You know, it mentions how I'm, I'm the kind of person you were thinking of. And you were feeling very lonely. This is probably why you were trying to talk to Spock earlier. Then it talks to McCoy. And he's like, what about your husband? Notice that he's kind of okay with her cheating on her husband. No judgment. You know, McCoy's, uh, as we'll discover going throughout the series, McCoy is a little bit of a player. <laughs> just, 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 just a little bit. But um, either way, his, he's okay with that, but her response is what I find more interesting. You have such strong memories of me. I like your feelings better. In short, it, ha it finds it more advantageous to attach itself to him rather than to Crater. So, <laughs> this then leads to a bit where Crater tries to defend the thing. It's okay. It's okay. You know, it's not dangerous, only when it's hungry. I think I've already pointed out why that's nonsense and stupid, so let's just move on from that. Then it kills Crater. Why does it kill Crater? 
I mean, the obvious answer is because it's a monster and it's evil. And that is the, basically the problem here, is that the episode's trying to portray it as an intelligent, sentient, sapient life form, and also... And those two things don't really coincide as well as they could, especially in 44 minutes of television. Anyways, it kills Crater. Wah, wah. He probably deserved to die. And then uh, we have the big dramatic scene. McCoy, you must kill Nancy. No, I can't kill Nancy. Oh, wow, Nancy is really jonesing for that salt. Oh, God, Nancy just tr nearly tried to kill Kirk. Oh, my God, Spock can't even hurt Nancy. Oh, God, Nancy just threw him swing. Oh, God, I'm just going to keep sitting here and watching while, while Nancy nearly kills Kirk. It's sure a good thing that having all the salt drained instantaneously from your body doesn't kill you. Oh, wait. I make fun. I get the point. The whole point is that McCoy has to shoot the image of his old flame and comes to grips with the idea that his old flame has been dead for a year, as indicated by Crater earlier. Yay. We also see the creep. This is when we see its image. Like I said, good work on it. Good work. It's super dead. <sighs> Not too shabby. Not too shabby of an episode. By the way, I have one last thing to mention. It was in this book right here, which I've referenced several times. Um, there was a bit where while they were putting together the idea for which episode was going to be first, one of the things commented on, I'm pretty sure it was by Solo himself, was... Oh, wow, that looks really cool. Sorry, I'm just looking at receipts. He's got actual... This is one of the reasons I love this book. He actually puts receipts and stuff in here so you can see proof of what's being talked about. Anyways, I'm sorry, getting off topic. <laughs> I, I've been rereading this book as I go through this, and it's just, it's just a wealth of behind-the-scenes information and the very nature of how you make television, which includes things like making sure the audience is immediately on board with concepts. Concepts like a spaceship, aliens, and beaming. You'll notice that the beaming is kind of a thing right at the beginning of this episode. Now, you might argue that it's in other episodes as well, but the point being made is that one of the stated factors for why this one finally got the slot over the other ones is because of the fact that they have that beaming scene right at the beginning so that people can immediately know what's up and how that works. Just interesting to think about. Fascinating stuff. Good episode. I enjoyed. I hope you enjoyed. See you next time.